Welcome back to the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast, and welcome to episode three of the Jordan Stinks series. Before we dive in, I just want to give a huge thank you to everyone who has left a review on iTunes, especially the written responses, because the response to the Jordan Stinks series has been overwhelmingly positive, and I'm really, really excited about it for a number of reasons, not least of which I haven't seen anyone else in the fitness industry openly speaking to and having discussions with people that outright disagree with them. And I really think that's where a lot more learning happens. I think more often than not in life in general, we tend to hang out with people who we agree with and isolate ourselves from and distance ourselves from people we disagree with. It makes sense. That's how we develop friendships. That's how we develop you know, work partners. It's, we want to hang out with the people who share our same ideals, morals, ethics, all of that. But by isolating yourself and not even speaking with anybody who disagrees with you, you put yourself at a massive, massive disadvantage. So I really like doing this also because a lot of the disagreements people have been sending in on Instagram, they're really just miscommunications. And I think this holds true in all areas of life. A lot of the things that we think we, we outright disagree with someone else on, a lot of times it's just a miscommunication. And that could be with your husband, your wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whomever. could be with a, a work partner. could be with a colleague. could be with a friend. A lot of the things that we get really angry about and defensive about are really just born out of a miscommunication. And I'm really excited to be able to clarify and to make myself more clear and to, to expand on maybe things that I miscommunicated and could do better on and also explain maybe why I do disagree with you and how you can move forward from there. So uh, with that said... I have not really looked very much at the disagreements thus far. I skimmed through briefly, but I'll go through one by one, and we will see what we can come up with. So let's see. I'm going to go through right now. Let's see. Okay. All right. So we'll start with this first one. So someone wrote, actually, and I'll, I'll clarify this. First and foremost, if you have not listened to the first two episodes of this, I would very much encourage you to. Uh, I also want to say this is not about tearing anybody down or I, I will not be naming anybody. If you responded to me on Instagram, I appreciate you doing that. I know it can be nerve wracking to, to do that. You will not be mentioned by name. I will not tear you down. This is purely an educational, very civil discussion. Okay. So the, the first one I'll cover, just I think this is really important. Someone wrote, you never respond to my questions or emails. Actually, I, I think this is a really good one to begin with. It's a little bit more personal. Um, and I haven't spoken about this very much, if at all. So first and foremost, I want to apologize because I know how frustrating it can be to feel like you're being ignored and you're not valued. That being said, I really want to make this clear. And I'll, I'll sort of I'll give a backstory. When I first started my business in 2011, my online business, I, number one, didn't know I was starting a business. I just started a website so that I could post information about my own training and nutrition. I was a competitive powerlifter at the time. I was training at one of the strongest gyms in the world, Westside Barbell, and I made a website so that I could share that information with people. I didn't know I could make money from it. I didn't know PayPal existed. I was literally just planning to write articles and to help people. And I actually vividly remember I made my first ever business email at the time, and I was in college, and I remember refreshing my email, just hoping and hoping and hoping someone would email me with a question because I just wanted to help people. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted people to email my business email and ask me questions so I could help them. 
now fast forward from 2011 to 2020 and uh, I mean things have changed and it's been a blessing but I'd say within the last year year and a half I actually started to get a lot of anxiety around my email and I'll I'll tell you when I was doing one-on-one coaching I was so completely and utterly adamant about never having anybody answer my emails. It was, I would never have an assistant answer my emails. I would never have anybody interact with my clients except for me. Never, not, not only my clients, but any email, any just random individual asking a question, I wanted to answer it. I didn't think it was appropriate or right to have an assistant or someone else going through my emails. And I think that was partly me being egotistical. I think it was partly me being uh, short-sighted. I think it was partly me being very proud and also partly just wanting to give the best, highest quality service at every chance I could. As time went on though, and especially around maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I would clear my entire inbox and then within 24 hours have 700 emails. No joke. And it got to a point where I really started to get anxiety from looking at my email. Just the idea of opening it gave me an anxiety attack. And I noticed myself spending less and less time in my inbox, which then, of course, compounded on the issue, which would then lead to there being 700, 1,400, 2,100 emails in there, and I would be so far behind, and then the anxiety would even increase. So that, and then coupled with my Instagram stories as well, when I do Q&As, a lot of people think that I'm just deliberately not answering your questions. I promise you I'm not. I get thousands of responses every single time, which is a blessing, and I'm beyond lucky to have that in my life. I just want you to know I'm never ignoring you, and I'm never deliberately not answering you. It's simply because there's a lot of volume. Now, in in regard to email, since then, I've actually I've stopped taking on one-on-one clients because I I can't give them my best service. I, I just can't, and, and email really has... has unfortunately become a big source of anxiety for me so now my assistant she's wonderful she really helps me with that a lot so if it's a delay in emails or if I'm not responding I promise you it's not because I'm ignoring you it's it's mainly because as of especially right now in my career and in my life I need to focus a lot on my my mental and my emotional health and it's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is because I can answer questions here not just on an individual basis but for many many people to hear at once so if you ever have a question make sure you ask it in the Q&A or if you have a disagreement say it here so hopefully I can discuss it I just really hope you know I'm never ignoring you at all it is mainly just because there's such a high volume and I'm really trying my best so I hope that makes sense uh, let's see. Now we're going to go to, well, probably the first disagreement. Let's see. Okay. Okay. Here's a good one. So someone wrote, it's not as easy as you say to just get back on track after not being on track for a while. This is a really important thing to discuss. So I'm going to repeat the disagreement one more time. It's not as easy as you say to just get back on track after not being on track for a while. I think right off the bat, I want to clarify and say, I agree with you. It is not easy to get to just get back on track at all. And I'm pretty sure I've never said it's easy. I have said it's very simple. But those two terms, simple and easy, are not one and the same. It is incredibly difficult to get back on track. It is incredibly difficult to stay consistent with something long-term. It is ridiculously hard. And speaking from personal experience, I just spent three years coaching Gary Vaynerchuk seven days a week 
If he was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong. If he was in London, I was in London. If he was in LA, I was in LA. I spent more time in airports and airplanes and hotels than I did my own apartment for three years, which is really why I fell off track. Getting back on track was incredibly difficult. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go to the gym. I didn't want to start cooking more. But just because I didn't want to do it didn't mean I shouldn't do it. And just because I didn't want to do it didn't mean it wasn't the thing I knew I needed to do. Now, I think going back to the difference between simple and easy, it's, we know now it's definitely not easy. But just because it's not easy doesn't mean we should overcomplicate it, right? Because it really is as simple as just do it. If you say that you're going to do something, let's just use the example of let's say you make a promise to a friend or a family member. And after you make the promise, you don't really want to do it but you gave them your word. The right thing to do is to do it because you gave them your word. You promised. And you'll do whatever it takes in order to fulfill that promise, hopefully, because it's the right thing to do. But when we make promises to ourselves, when we say we're going to get back on track, we're going to be consistent with the gym or with nutrition or whatever it is, it doesn't even have to be fitness related. But when we make a promise to ourselves, We should uphold that promise. And again, I'm not saying that's easy. It's very difficult. But there's no reason to overcomplicate it. Because if you make a promise to yourself, you should keep it. And if you end up breaking that promise, you should get back on track as quickly as possible. Because the more time you spend away from it, the easier it is to justify not getting back on track with it at all. So I hope you understand what I'm saying here. It's not a matter of of it being easy because it it is definitely not easy but pretending it's not as simple as just doing it that's not accurate because that is as it's as simple as it gets you're either doing it or you're not and there is no magic answer here there is no definitive there is no simple cure for it but there is a simple understanding of it and it either is you're going to keep your promise to yourself or you're not I'm going to take a quick drink. Okay. Someone said that Harry Potter is the greatest of all time. They disagree with me. You are wrong, but I respect I respect your opinion. Harry Potter is without question the greatest of all time. Um, let's see. Actually, and I'll, I'll briefly say one of the reasons I love Harry Potter is because uh, the writing is tremendous and the storytelling is awesome unbelievably well done and and just for any coaches listening or any even if you're not a coach if you want to be a better writer I think one of the best ways to become a better writer is to read uh is to read more and I think a lot of coaches one of the reasons their writing is so dry and difficult to read is because they're only reading science-based textbooks one of the reasons I like using the Harry Potter references in my work is because it number aside from me loving Harry Potter it makes it more fun and exciting to read. And if you don't like Harry Potter and you think it's not fun, well, that's totally fine as well. But I think uh, the number of people who've reached out to me to say they didn't even want to lose weight, they weren't interested in fitness, they didn't care about lifting weights, but they found me through a Harry Potter hashtag and now they've lost 20 pounds, like it's definitely worth it. So that's why I do it. Um, okay, here's a really good one. Someone wrote that they said, someone said, You said we shouldn't get excited about seeing the scale go down. I disagree. Now I'm going to repeat what they said one more time. They wrote, 
you said we shouldn't get excited about seeing the scale go down. I disagree. Now, I actually think you have a great point, and I want to clarify this further because I recently put in an Instagram story something to the effect of, if you're getting excited when the scale goes down, then odds are you're getting very discouraged when the scale goes up. And I still very much believe that, but I think I can be more clear and and explain things further here on this podcast. So I actually agree with you. I agree with you in that there is a time and a place to be excited when the scale goes down. But let me just let me just clarify first and expand a little bit. Generally speaking, the people who get very excited at the slightest downward trend or downward dip on the scale are also the people who are very discouraged when the scale slightly fluctuates up for, for any number of reasons. Maybe they they had more salt the day before. Maybe they lifted really heavy. Maybe they're on their period and, and the scale is spiking up. Maybe just for whatever reason, the scale went up. And when that happens, they think they're a failure. They think it's not working. They think, what's the point? And they it ruined their day. It's like they just quit and they give up because the scale went up. And that's really what I want to avoid. I want to avoid having our emotion, our emotions dictate our actions. And that's why I'm very, very adamant about trying to reduce the emotional response from the scale, whether it's going down or going up and looking at it more as just data. That being said, I think you bring up a great point and I should clarify this because if your goal is to lose fat and lose weight, then absolutely be excited when the scale goes down. But I think we can find a middle ground here because I'm not a huge fan of looking at it every single day and judging day to day based on your progress. If you've followed my content for a while, you know that when you're looking at the trend of weight loss, I like to look at it from a monthly perspective. So you would compare June 1 to July 1, July 1 to August 1, August 1 to September 1, and you'd compare your weight on June 2nd to July 2nd, and July 2nd to August 2nd, August 2nd, August 2nd to September 2nd, so on and so forth. So you, with this in mind, if you're seeing that downward trend month to month and you're getting excited about that, I could not support you more. I love that. You're using the data well. You're getting excited about your progress, about your consistency. I love it. But if you're getting really excited about these mini fluctuations on a day-to-day basis, you're making yourself more susceptible to the opposite happening when it does fluctuate up because it will fluctuate on a day-to-day basis. And if you're more susceptible to that, then you're more susceptible to justifying quitting when it does go up. So... I don't think it's bad to get excited when the scale goes down. I do think it's bad to have too much emotion on a day-to-day basis in regard to the scale. So as long as you're measuring it on a long-term basis and really judging it and and your emotions are in response to something that makes logical sense, not an emotional, uh, oh, it went up 0.2 pounds, I must be failing, or it went down 0.5 pounds, yes, like... I think this is a really important point to discuss. Sometimes people, the scale will fluctuate down half a pound or a pound overnight, and they just assume it should never go up again. It's just that's, okay, cool, that's their weight now. It's it's wrong. That's why you need to measure month to month, June 1 to July 1, July 1 to August 1, so on and so forth. I'll also say this. If you have more long-term weight loss goals, rather than really celebrating the the 0.1 or 0.2 fluctuation down, which will go back up and down throughout the course of the of your process, maybe being more excited about celebrating the bigger, bigger successes, whether it's a five or 10 pound landmark, uh, 
because when you're celebrating more of the uh, the bigger landmarks, the five to ten pound loss, you're also celebrating your consistency. I think that's really what we have to be focusing on. When your goal is solely based on losing weight, your entire goal is based on something that you can't entirely control. Your weight will fluctuate up and down on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis. And if you're allowing that to control your emotions and thus your actions, it's a big mistake, and it's really oftentimes where people fail. But if you're celebrating the 5 to 10 pound marks, that is usually about um, every month to two months, depending on, on where you're starting and depending on your rate of progress. But that's about a month to every two months or so, which I couldn't possibly support more. And I really guess the base of all this is, even if you are celebrating the mini fluctuations downward on a day-to-day basis and you find that works for you, by all means, go for it. But regardless of whether or not you're doing that, you have to be very clear with yourself and not let the fluctuations upward cause you to think you're failing. That That is really the most important point of all of this. If the fluctuations upward are causing you to quit, are causing it to ruin your day, are causing you to think you're failing, then that is something that needs to be addressed. And that's really why I'm very adamant about not having emotions with the scale in either direction. But I also would never say, oh, I should say I would never say it because I did say it, but I want to I wanna re-clarify what I meant and say, if the scale is going down and you're excited about it, that's amazing. And I support you and I'm super excited for you and I'm impressed with your consistency and I would encourage you in any way possible. But really do your best to not let the subsequent fluctuations upward to prevent you from staying on track. I hope that makes sense. Now I'm going to take another drink. Okay, let's see. What's another disagreement? Someone wrote... Your Harry Potter references seem like pandering and are not cute. All right. So can't please everybody. Uh, I'm not sure you understand what pandering means. Uh, Pandering is usually done when you're trying to either get something out of somebody, and it's oftentimes not even done out of doing something you enjoy. My Harry Potter references are solely because I love Harry Potter. I want to make that really clear. I'm not doing it to get anything out of anybody. I'm not doing it to try and manipulate anybody. I'm not doing it to try and get a response out of anybody. It makes me writing my captions. It makes me enjoy writing my captions more. And it also, for many people, not all clearly, but for many people, it makes them more fun and more enjoyable and it breaks the science down into a more easily digestible format. So it is certainly not pandering. It's really based out of my own enjoyment. Let's see. Ah, okay, here's a good one. Someone wrote, I disagree with your comment that a 500-pound healthy person who's happy shouldn't lose weight. I'm going to repeat that. Someone wrote, I disagree with your comment that a 500-pound healthy person who's happy shouldn't lose weight. And I'm really glad you wrote this because I literally never said that. Ever. It is a complete and utter misunderstanding and miscommunication of what I said. And this is another reason I'm really glad that I'm doing this podcast series. I never, ever said nor insinuated that a 500-pound person shouldn't lose weight. Trying to remember the exact scenario of what... Oh, actually, I think this is actually... Wow, that's perfect because it's related to... um, what we were talking about before in regard to the scale uh, and not being excited about when the scale goes down. 
someone had asked something in relation to the scale of oh someone oh this is perfect i remember it clearly someone said um the whole point of losing weight is to lose weight so why shouldn't you be happy about it and my response was to the effect of the whole point of losing weight isn't just to lose weight usually when someone wants to lose weight they're doing it because they want to be more happy and confident with how they look they want to be healthier they want to be happier they want to be more confident and weight loss is oftentimes part of the process of getting there but let's just say as an extreme example you were 500 pounds and you were very healthy and you were very happy and you loved how you looked you probably wouldn't care what the scale said because you're very healthy you're very happy and you love how you looked if you looked in the mirror and you were 500 pounds and all of your blood markers were great you didn't have any joint pain you were just a very healthy happy person and you looked in the mirror and you were like i am banging i look incredible then you wouldn't care what the scale said most people want to lose weight because they think they are too heavy and they would be more comfortable and happy and confident at a lower weight so the example of me saying the 500 pound person that was purely an extreme version to really make clear that weight loss isn't necessarily the goal the goal is to be more happy and healthy and confident now i don't know of any individual who's 500 pounds who is healthy and happy and confident that i just don't think that exists and maybe i'm wrong but if someone's 500 pounds i guarantee you they're going to have a very difficult time getting out of bed going to have a lot of joint pain most likely a tremendous amount of health issues so if someone's 500 pounds i would say there's probably a very good reason to lose weight many 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 very good reasons to lose weight so i I absolutely never said that and i think it's really important to clarify that is not what i said nor what i insinuated at all okay let's see (laughs) someone wrote i disagree with you reducing your f-bombs on your podcast for the sake of children the f uh so this is something that's been coming up a lot is uh, is swearing, you know, and some people, they love it when I swear and some people hate it when I swear. Uh, and as I'm getting older and as I'm reaching more people, I'm trying to figure out the best way for me to reach and help more people. Um, I still swear a pretty decent amount, especially on my Instagram, especially in the captions and my stories. I am really doing my best to reduce them on the podcast for this, especially for the sake of of children. Um, If an adult doesn't like them, I'm not too worried about that to be very candid with you. But if an adult can't listen to the podcast because of me swearing and their children are around, that's something I, I, I'm not a fan of and I want to improve that. So I uh, am doing my best not to cuss at all. So uh, that's why I'm doing it. Okay, someone wrote, I disagree that the number on the scale isn't important. If blood pressure can be an important unit of measure, so can pounds. This is another reason, another example of why I'm very happy to be doing this podcast because this is another clear miscommunication, misunderstanding. I'll repeat what they said. They said, I disagree that the number on the scale isn't important. If blood pressure can be an important unit of measure, so can pounds. I don't think I've ever said nor insinuated that the number on the scale isn't important. I have definitely not said it's it's not an important unit of measure at all. In fact, one of my main goals for 
a long time for many years has been to get people to the point in which they can weigh themselves daily without it interfering with their emotions while using the numbers as just data over time to look at their progress in either direction. I'm a huge proponent of weighing yourself. I weigh myself daily. And one of my main goals with clients is to get them to weigh themselves daily. Uh, I actually, for a long time, I got a lot of kickback on social media for suggesting weighing, weighing daily. Um, and really when I started to talk about the psychology and the behavior of it, only then did people really start to see what I meant. Actually, my Big Mac challenge, I think, was one of the biggest turning points in the fitness industry when people saw me weigh myself every day. They saw my fluctuations up and down, and they saw my response to it. They saw me graphing the the whooshes and the spikes. If you haven't seen the Big Mac Challenge, please go on YouTube. Just look up my go to my YouTube channel and watch the Big Mac Challenge. It shows every day for 30 days I ate a Big Mac and lost weight in the process, and I documented my my weight every day as well. So I think there's a huge miscommunication here. I think that the number on the scale can be a very, very valuable form of measurement, and I've never said otherwise. That being said, I don't think that the number on the scale is a is a uh, end-all, be-all. I don't think it tells us everything we need to know. And if you're allowing the number on the scale to dictate your actions and have a negative effect on your emotions, then you really need to understand that it's not an end-all, be-all. And for some people, it might be very important to take some time away from the scale before they come back to it to to develop a healthy relationship with it. So, And and the same thing goes with blood pressure. This is really, really interesting. Actually, I I just went to the doctor the other day, and uh, I I brought my blood pressure monitor with me because I wanted to calibrate it with what they were doing. And uh, and she was a little bit taken aback that I brought my blood pressure monitor. And I was like, I just want to calibrate it to see how accurate it is. Fortunately, it was very accurate. And, and she was like, just be careful with that because it's very easy for that to become another source of stress in which you have one high reading and now you're, you think that you have hypertension or you think that you're going to die sooner. And I think it's very similar to the scale. Using the blood pressure as data, you take the numbers, you do it on a frequent basis, ideally a daily basis for me, because the more data you have, the more you can spot the trends. You can see, okay, so I know on these days my blood pressure is higher, my weight is higher. On these days my blood pressure is lower, my weight is lower. Same thing with tracking your strength in the gym. The more data you get based on how much weight you're lifting in the gym, then you know, okay, you know what, maybe on the week before my period I'm I'm really, really strong. And the week after my period, I'm really, really weak. You maybe uh, on the weeks that I have this many business meetings, I'm I'm really I'm I'm stressed and I'm not doing well in the gym. And on these weeks when I'm not traveling as much, I'm very strong and I feel way better. The more data you have on what you're doing, whether it's your strength, your weight, your blood pressure, whatever, the more you can track the fluctuations and spikes and get a better idea of what's happening with your body. So to clarify, I, I think the number on the scale can be used very intelligently and, and it can be very important. But it's also equally important to say that it's not the end-all be-all and gathering as much data as possible from everywhere is really going to be your best bet. Okay, let's see. I'm going to take another drink and scroll through. Okay, so someone wrote, not really a disagreement but you need to endorse more healthy habits just because it's a calorie deficit does not mean it's healthy. Like drinking, surely no amount of alcohol is good for you. 
Well, I actually I outright disagree with that. There is a significant amount of research saying some alcohol can be actually very good for you. Um, I'm very interested by how many people say to me, just because you're losing fat doesn't mean it's healthy. And the reason I'm interested by that is because I really try and go out of my way to make sure people understand there's a huge difference between fat loss and health. The two are very intertwined. There are many aspects of fat loss that also play into health, but they are two separate terms. And I'll try and explain here. Number one is fat loss. The base of fat loss, the foundation of it, what is required for it is calorie deficit. That's it. As long as you're in a calorie deficit, you will lose fat. But just because you're in a calorie deficit does not mean you're being healthy. You could eat a thousand calories of Skittles every day, and that would be a very unhealthy thing to do. You might be losing fat, but you're also definitely losing muscle. You're not getting enough vitamins and minerals and nutrients. So just because you're in a calorie deficit in that situation doesn't mean it's healthy. It's one of the reasons why I very much promote having a big salad. Did you notice there, by the way, I didn't say the middle of that, the big A salad, working on my cussing here. I'm going to give myself props for that one. Um, so I talk about having a big salad every day. Uh, in one of my recent YouTube videos, I spoke about making sure getting enough sleep, drinking enough water. Personally, and I could be wrong, I think I do a, a, at least a decent job of promoting healthy behaviors, but you also have to remember what my specialty is. My specialty in terms of body composition is fat loss. I would say that my two specialties are strength, and if we want to get even more specific, I would say powerlifting strength and even more specific deadlift strength. We could also talk about chin-up strength and a bunch of other things, but I think my specialties lie in strength development and fat loss and sustainable fat loss. I think the more we look into optimizing fat loss and sustainable fat loss, the more we see how intertwined fat loss and health really are. Because in order to lose fat, you need a calorie deficit. But in order to optimize fat loss, well, now you need to talk about protein intake. You need to talk about eating foods that are high in fiber, high in nutrients, relatively lower in calories to fill you up more. You need to talk about strength training. You need to talk about sleep. You need to talk about hydration. And all these things, when we're talking about optimizing fat loss, are also things that you need to pay attention to when you want to improve your health. So the reason I beat the drum of calorie deficit so hard is because, number one, we have an obesity epidemic in the world. There, there are more people than not who really, really want to lose weight, number one, but never mind the obesity aspect of it, where there are people who are at a point in their life in which they are so overweight that it's not only negatively impacting their physical health, but their mental health, their emotional health. There's a lot of factors of, of obesity that I think people are struggling with on a day-to-day -day basis that's not only shortening their life, but making their life more difficult and more miserable and more sad. And if I can help people achieve their goals in weight loss, that will then lead them to make better and healthier choices down the road, then that's a win for me. And that begins with helping people understand the foundation of fat loss and the foundation of weight loss, which is calorie deficit. There's so much misinformation in the industry. There's so many, there are people suggesting do the waist trainers and do the apple cider vinegar and do this diet and do that diet. And for me, with all of that information being out there, 
the most important thing I can do is just tell the truth. That's the number one most important thing for me. And what the truth is is that if you want to lose weight, you need to first and foremost be in a calorie deficit. Now from there, we need to optimize fat loss and optimize weight loss. But before we can optimize it, we need to make sure you're doing something right to begin with. You need to make sure you understand the principles of it. The most important principle of fat loss is calorie deficit. From there, let's say someone has an awful diet, just really just full of junk food and candy and they don't have any vegetables and no protein, but they understand to lose weight, they need to be in a calorie deficit. So they start eating less junk, but they don't add anything better to their diet. They just eat less junk food and they start losing weight and they get really excited about it. They're making progress. It's finally working and they're still doing it while eating the junk food only the junk food. They're just like, And I've never heard of anybody doing this, but this is an example to make my point. Then what'll happen? As they continue to lose weight and only eat the junk food, the candy, the nonsense, they're going to get very hungry. And then what happens? They're going to look for foods that will fill them up more while continuing to lose weight. And those foods tend to be the foods fruits, vegetables, lean proteins that are going to be healthier for us long-term. So by me really beating the calorie deficit drum, the point is to get people to take action in some, no matter what, just to do something to start seeing progress because then from that progress, from those results, they'll get more motivated to take more action. In anything in life, we don't want to inundate people, just give them the most advanced, the most high-level knowledge in them, all of all of everything they need to do at once. If we overload them with everything at once, they're less likely to take any action at all. So by just starting with one thing, the most important thing, now we give them the opportunity to do something, to see some results, then get more motivated to take more action. Same thing in the gym. If someone came in the gym to work out for the first time, and they'd never worked out before. And I'm like, all right, awesome. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go on the squat platform and we're going we're gonna to do sumo deadlifts versus bands and chains. We're going to do speed deadlifts, 10 sets to two at 70% one at max. They'd be like, get out of here. They'd be overwhelmed. They, their technique wouldn't be good. They'd be nervous. They'd be scared. They'd, they'd very likely not come back. But if we come to the gym and we walk for five minutes on the treadmill, I talk to them. I make them feel comfortable in the gym. I make it seem like a place that's very welcoming. I maybe take them through a brief warm-up, teach them how to, the, how to know the difference between hip hinging and, and uh, squatting. Then they're more likely to come back. It wasn't overly difficult. It wasn't overwhelming. And they feel more confident in their ability to succeed. Same thing with nutrition. I could talk about optimizing health and optimizing fat loss, and I do talk about it. But I talk more about the overarching principle of fat loss, which is calorie deficit, because there's so much misinformation. I need to combat that misinformation. The amount of messages I get of screenshots where I, where I say, pay attention to calorie deficit, and the next post someone sees on their page is, calories don't matter. It's all about eliminating carbs. It's unbelievable. So, so much of the content I put out is specifically done to to mitigate the damage that other people are doing with their nonsense and with the supplements and with the whatever it is they're selling. So I, I really hope that makes sense. As for, oh, you brought up the alcohol because uh, I think it was yesterday. 
someone asked if it's possible to lose fat while drinking alcohol. And I said, I sort of want to do another 30 day challenge, just like I did with the Big Mac to show you, yes, you can drink alcohol and, and lose fat. And the response to that was huge, by the way. I believe I will be doing that in February, uh, probably mid to late February. I'll start this where I'll do a 30 day challenge where I'll have some alcohol every day. I'm not going to get plastered. I literally, I haven't drank since, uh, since big, I haven't, I didn't drink all of 2019 and I still haven't drank in 2020 yet. I'm just, I'm not a drinker. Uh, but I think I'm going to do this for 30 days, just have one drink a day while staying in a calorie deficit to lose fat. And the response was tremendous. But, uh, to go back to the, you said, surely no amount of alcohol is good for you. I, there's an unbelievable amount of, uh, unbelievable amount of research that disagrees with you on that. There is, uh, it's not necessarily about alcohol being inherently good or bad for you. It's more about the dose, right? So too much of anything, including water, isn't good for you. But I'll say if someone is, let's say someone wants to have enjoy a glass of wine, but they get super anxious at the thought of it, they they don't allow it to, they, they allow their fear of, of drinking to prevent them from go out on a date, to enjoy the dating process, to to enjoy a glass of wine with their husband or a wife, or to uh, just enjoy a beer if you wanted to have one, God forbid. If that anxiety will then prevent you from living and enjoying life, I would say it's doing more harm than good, which is one of the reasons why there's a lot of research around one glass of wine a week or so really improving health. I think a lot of that has to do with the the ability to be more of a flexible dieter and to to incorporate some of your favorite foods, even if they're not quote unquote the healthiest for you, enjoying them in moderation allows the rest of your diet to be better. Right? I think this is, brings up the whole discussion of if you restrict and restrict and restrict and restrict, eventually you're going to end up binging. And if you don't end up binging, then you're just constantly living a life of restriction, 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 which can become very unhealthy in and of itself. I think really what we tend to see is the people who are most moderate in their life, who are, they follow the 80-20 rule most of the time, they tend to be the healthiest, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. So I hope that makes sense. Let's see. Okay, so someone wrote, not a disagreement from me, but some people say squats are bad for your knees. Okay, and those people are wrong. <laughs> squats are, are not inherently bad for your knees. First and foremost, squats with bad technique are bad for your knees. So squats where if your heels are coming off the ground and there's a lot more what's called anterior translation where basically a lot of the force is being put onto your knees, then yes, that's that's very bad. Uh, it can be very dangerous. Uh, I will say there are ways where you can practice that and develop more strength in your knees by doing that in low loads over the course of years, but that's a separate topic for a different for a different day. If you have current knee issues, if you have knee problems, knee pain, if you've had surgery and squats hurt your knees, then don't do squats. But if your knees are healthy and you're squatting with good technique, squats are not bad for your knees. Generally, feet about shoulder width, slightly wider than shoulder width, heels flat on the ground. That's probably the best way to really know that your squats are, are going to be safe for your knees is making sure that throughout the entire range of motion, your heels are flat on the ground. If your weight is coming forward onto your toes and your heels are coming off the ground, you're putting yourself at serious risk for knee pain and knee injuries. But as long as your heels are flat on the ground, you're much, much safer. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to take your feet slightly wider than shoulder width apart. Now you have more room in your hips to get deeper while keeping your heels flat on the ground to keep your knees safe. I will say some people say that having your knees 
go in front of your toes is inherently bad. That's also wrong. Again, this depends on your your own knee pain and your your history, your health history, and your your uh, your body mechanics. But if your heels are flat on the ground and your knees are slightly in front of your toes, you're fine. Again, it depends. If you have knee pain when you do it, don't do it. But to just say that squats are inherently bad for your knees, that is completely and utterly wrong. They're, they can actually make your knees much stronger if you're doing them properly. Let's see. Someone wrote, I disagree with you not telling me what kind of Greek yogurt you eat. Uh, I usually eat the Faye, the F-A-G-E Greek yogurt, 0% fat. Um, and I know people are going to say, well, why 0% not 2%? Fat's not bad for you, blah, blah, blah. I like the 0%. For a number of reasons, the the higher fat percentage gets a little bit too much for me. It's a little like too creamy. It's like overly filling. Also, obviously, it is higher calorie, which isn't bad. But I also like to enjoy my Greek yogurt either with oatmeal or or something else, blueberries, whatever it is. So I'd rather have it be lower calorie so that I can have more more other types of food without blowing past my calories for the day. So that's what I tend to eat. Uh, let's see. Okay. So someone wrote, I don't disagree with you, but I think you talk so much about fat loss and little about maintenance. Uh, and yes, you are absolutely correct. And I mentioned this just a few minutes ago, but my specialty and what I really aim to help people with is fat loss. Now I do talk about maintenance a fair bit in the inner circle. I have an entire manual that I created with Susan Niebergall, the maintenance manual, we call it the momentum manual because we think a lot of people hear the term maintenance and they inherently think that they're just going to stall in their process and their progress. And the reality is maintenance is really a, a phase in which you're building up more momentum to make more progress, which is why we renamed that. But my specialty is fat loss. And I think one of the greatest issues in the world right now is people who are really struggling to lose weight. The only way to get to maintenance is to first get to a point in which you are, are ready to be at maintenance. So for me, with way more people struggling to lose weight at all, it makes more sense to put out content that is going to help people lose weight. I do think I, I could talk about it more if I'm being candid and trying to be open-minded. But I don't know how much more I could talk about it. I've put out a lot of information about it and the benefits of it. Um, but I really do think just based on the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of emails and messages I get on a day-to-day -day basis, most people are not at a point in which they really need to uh, focus on maintenance yet. There are a significant amount of people who are, but I think the vast majority of people really need to know more about the principles and understanding of fat loss. But I do disagree. I'll tell you this. I do think that the more people understood the benefits of going into brief periods of maintenance or momentum, the better. And you know what? I'll sort of retract. I, I could talk about it more. Maybe, I, maybe you know what? Maybe I will talk about it more because I do think that the more people understood the value of it and the more people that understood the, the benefits of it, then the more people would take mini diet breaks, which might then allow them to be more consistent long term. So I apologize. I think you're right. I think I could talk about it more. So you can expect to see more from me. What I will say is if you haven't seen my YouTube video on it, please go to my YouTube channel. I did an entire YouTube video on maintenance. Uh, if you want m my most in-depth work on it, my inner circle has an entire manual on it that I made with Susan Niebergall. It is, uh, to, to our knowledge, the single most in-depth piece of content 
in existence on how to actually transfer into maintenance and then transfer out of maintenance and go in and out of it at will. Uh, but I think you're right. Publicly, I should talk more about it and the benefits of it. So thank you for bringing that up. Ah, this is a good one. Okay, so someone wrote, I think your calorie deficit calculator is way too high, meaning real, real results will take way too long. Now, this is, this is a wonderful thing to talk about. I actually just spoke about this with Susan on her podcast yesterday. Number one, we could really break this down pretty deeply. The first thing to talk about is we're going to talk about the second part of the statement. So the statement again was, I think your calorie deficit calculator is way too high. The second part is, meaning real results will take way too long. First and foremost, what is way too long? What's too long? Who is to say what, what too long is? What timeline are we working on? This is, by the way, one of the main reasons I don't work with bodybuilders or, or physique competitors because they usually have a date by which they need to be at a certain level of body fat and be at their peak condition. And aside from so many of them really, really, really struggling with disordered eating and a lot of people really developing disordered eating habits from that, I have no interest in having a deadline by which someone needs to be a certain weight or body fat percentage. That is, that is completely and utterly against everything that I want to do and help people with. I think it causes more harm than good in most people. I also think that having this idea that you need to make progress at X rate or an X period of time is completely and utterly wrong, and it does way more harm than good. What's the rush? When's, what's, what's the deadline you need to finish by? Like Most people, they create these in their head and they pressure themselves and pressure themselves and pressure themselves. I need to lose this amount of weight in this amount of time and they might be really rigid for two weeks and then they fall off track a little bit. They gain a bunch of weight, they freak out and then they call it quits because all of a sudden they just think they're not making enough progress quickly enough. When the reality is that there wasn't this self-imposed time period that they had to lose this weight by that just completely made up on their own Maybe they wouldn't have thought they were screwing up. So to discuss the second part of your question is, or to answer that, meaning real results will take too long, is like, what is too long? It's one of the reasons why I always talk about having a book called The Five-Year Plan, which no publisher would ever want to publish because no one wants to buy a five-year plan. Everyone wants to buy the 21-day plan, the seven-day plan, seven-hour plan, two-hour plan. Just give me the fix in one minute, please, 60-second fat loss. What is too long? If I told you right now that if you followed my calorie calculator and in five years you would be at your quote-unquote ideal body weight, you would love your body, you'd be healthy, you'd be happy, you'd be confident, and you wouldn't have to worry about it for the rest of your life, would you do it? Probably not because most people want the quick fix. But the ironic part of it and the disgustingly ironic part of it is most people, they'll try, they'll haphazardly try a bunch of different things over the next five years and never actually reach their goal. So if someone just did the calorie calculator and they stuck with it and ate a little bit more calories than they thought they should and lost weight slowly and sustainably, in your, in your words, that it will take too long, but in five years they're actually at their goal, I'd say they're way better off and they actually did it faster than you did because they weren't in a rush. Now, to answer the first part of your, your disagreement, which is I think your calorie deficit calculator is way too high, for some people... A small portion of people it is, and usually those are the people who have a lot of weight to lose, the people who uh, 
who are very high body fat percentage, 30, 40, 50% body fat, they can usually eat lower. But for the vast majority of people, for the people who are relatively lean, 15, 20, 25, maybe 30% body fat, it's, it's great. It works very, very well. It is higher than a MyFitnessPal calculator and a lot of other calculators. It is higher than a lot of what bodybuilding and physique prep coaches will give you because they want you to lose weight very, very quickly. Because you got to remember, the faster you lose weight, the more you think it's working, the more likely you are to keep hiring them even though you're still binging, even though it's very difficult for you to follow, even though it might give you anxiety, even though you can hardly enjoy yourself out with your friends and family at dinner, the faster you lose weight, the more likely you are to think, oh my God, this is working, it's so good, and you keep going with it. Here's another thing to consider. Most people think that it's too high based on based off of what they've used in the past. And I'll give you an example. Someone might say, oh, you know, well, I can only eat 1,200 calories in order to lose fat. Anything higher than that, it doesn't work. But usually what their habits look like are something like this, where they'll be super rigid at 1,200 calories. They'll lose weight for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months. But eventually it gets too much, and they start binging, and they start going off track, and they start gaining weight. But they're not really tracking their calories when they're going off track. So they think... They will only lose weight when they're super rigid and they eat 1,200 calories. But then on the days that they're not tracking, they're eating way too much. They're gaining a lot of weight back. They're binging, whatever it is. Maybe it's not even binging. Maybe they're just having two days, three days, four days, a week where they go off track. They gain a bunch of weight. They freak out. They go back to 1,200 calories. And what do we find? The standard yo-yo dieting cycle. But again, if you just stuck with my calorie calculator, it's on my YouTube, my weight loss calorie calculator, which is higher calories to begin with but way more sustainable, you'd probably actually be eating fewer total calories than you were when you were yo-yo dieting. But it would allow you to enjoy some of your favorite foods. It would allow you to go out and enjoy dinner with friends and family. It would allow you to be a little bit more lenient and you could sustain it longer, in which case you would lose weight maybe more slowly than when you were only eating 1,200 calories a day but you might have only been able to eat 1,200 calories a day for a month before you went back on your binge cycle. Whereas if you eat mine, which maybe it has you at 1,600 or 1,800, it might scare you to hear that, but you can sustain it longer and lose weight more slowly. It will actually result in more weight loss more quickly because you're not going through the whole yo-yo binge cycle purge. That's really important to remember. My calorie deficit calculator is, for the vast majority of people, exactly where it needs to be for some people for some people especially if you have a much higher body fat percentage yes it can be a little bit high because you can lower it let's say you're let's say i don't know let's say you're 400 pounds and your goal weight is 250 pounds then yeah it might actually be too high because you could eat lower or you could eat fewer calories and and you could maybe since uh, seriously benefit from a little bit faster weight loss at the beginning to get motivated and to rapidly increase your health markers to take less stress off to take more stress off of your joints but if you're starting from a relatively healthy body fat percentage and and your your joints aren't aching and you're not seriously suffering and you just want to lose a little bit of weight in order to be healthier and happier the calorie deficit calculator is really really good and it's probably higher than what you've seen across the internet. But just because it's higher than what you've seen on the internet doesn't mean it's not good. And candidly, if you've struggled with sustaining it 
your weight loss for the long term with everything you've done in the past, that should probably speak volumes that you haven't been able to sustain it for a reason. And the I'm not I'm not giving out this calorie calculator for for giggles. I took out the first part of that. It was in the S and giggles. I'm doing it because it works and not just for 30 days. I'm doing it because it works for years. I've had people lose 50, 60, 70, 100 pounds using this thing and maintain it for three, four, five years plus the rest of their life. That's why it's higher because you can sustain it longer. Let's see. Going to take a quick drink. Where are we? All right, almost an hour in. Okay, here's a good one. Someone wrote, it's not useful when you answer to, hold on, they wrote, it's not answerable when you answer to best exercise for fat loss is always calorie deficit. Okay, I'm going to reread that one more time. It's not useful when you answer the best exercise for fat loss is always calorie deficit. Well, I see what you're saying, but I disagree. And the reason I disagree is because when people ask me what the best exercise for for fat loss is, is they want me to tell them what exercise they should do, whether it's cardio, high-intensity cardio, low-intensity cardio, strength training, bodybuilding, powerlifting, sprints, whatever it is. People are asking me to tell them what is the best exercise to lose fat. There is no best exercise to lose fat because the only way to lose fat is to be in a calorie deficit on a consistent basis, regardless of whether you exercise or not. Obviously, and this is where this is the perfect example of how health and fat loss, they're two separate things, but they're very intertwined. Can you lose fat without exercise as long as you're in a calorie deficit? Yes, absolutely. But that doesn't mean it's the healthiest option. Of course, being in a calorie deficit while strength training and exercising is going to be better than either one alone, especially for your overall health. Just the health benefits of walking for an extra 20 minutes a day are are remarkable in so many ways. So of course, exercise is incredibly important for so many reasons, and strength training and cardio can optimize the fat loss process and also improve your health. But when someone says, what's the best exercise for fat loss? They're literally looking for me to tell them what exercise is the best thing to do to help them lose fat. And the only thing that will allow them to lose fat is calorie deficit, regardless of whether or not they're exercising. So that's why I say that. People are looking for the quick answer, the quick fix. Well, should I sprint? Should I do treadmill sprints? Should I do the elliptical? Does it matter if I do the different cardio machines on a day-to-day basis? Should I do the same one? Should I do deadlifts? Should I do powerlifting? Should I do bodybuilding? Should I do Zumba? It doesn't matter. Do what you enjoy. Because if we're just talking about fat loss, you have to, number one, do something you enjoy that allows you to be consistent in a calorie deficit. If we want to talk about optimization, it's a different discussion. Obviously, you want to do strength training. So you can build and maintain muscle and strength and bone density. There's so many valuable factors of strength training. Obviously, you also want to do some cardio activity for your heart health, for your hormonal health. There's so much that comes from it too. Doing a little bit of cardio, a little bit of strength training, and maintaining a calorie deficit is going to be the best way to optimize your fat loss while improving your health. But if we're just talking about fat loss, calorie deficit is the most important. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Okay, someone wrote, you don't promote health, you only promote weight loss. So uh, 
guess I already spoke about that. Yeah, I already spoke about that, so we don't need to go too far into that. Um, dis- someone wrote, I disagree that keto is a joke. I, okay, this is definitely another miscommunication. Um, I've, I think I'm really the only person in the fitness, in the, the flexible dieting world who, uh, who has outright said that I'm totally fine with keto. And, and I'm not the only person who said that I'm totally fine with it, but I've actually said why I will never discourage someone from doing it because I've never, ever encountered someone who did keto who didn't learn a lot from it. I've never encountered someone who did keto who had trouble eating enough protein once they transferred away from doing keto. So I think just the process of doing it is tremendously valuable and you'll learn a lot. I also think there's a ton of value in trying whatever you want to try to learn from it so you can get better from it. So I'll never tell someone not to try keto. And I don't think that keto is a joke. I put that on my story as a joke. Uh, So I think there was a miscommunication. Um, And I apologize for that if you thought that I was serious. But no, that was was a joke when I said that. Um, I do think that for the vast majority of of people, keto is completely and utterly unsustainable long-term. I think the very rapid weight loss with keto that is very much due to initial water loss as opposed to fat loss creates a lot of unrealistic expectations. And that's not keto's fault. That's oftentimes that people are being educated poorly and they're being told that keto results in faster fat loss when the reality is it's the weight loss due to uh, loss of water. But keto isn't inherently bad, and I don't completely disagree with it. I just think that most people cannot sustain it long-term. And going back to what we were talking about earlier... I would rather you do the approach that's going to allow you to reach your goal in five years, even if it's initially slower, than do something that's going to help you lose a ton of weight very quickly that requires you to more or less eliminate an entire food group, enjoy your life less, enjoy food less, and then eventually regain it and feel awful later. So if you love keto and you can stick with it and it's amazing and it improves your health and happiness and confidence, go for it. But that's not the vast majority of people. Uh, all right, let's see. Um, someone said, I disagree when someone asks you how to get back on track and your answer is always just do it. So I know we spoke about this at the beginning of the episode, so won't spend too much time on this. Actually going to come to a close in a minute. Um, I don't think I've ever actually said, just do it. I might be wrong. Maybe I have said that. Uh, maybe, oh, yeah, you know what? I've said, people have said, how do I get back on track? And I said, get back on track. Uh, oh, oh, I say this a lot when people are like, what do I do when I'm on vacation and I've been off track for so long? How do I get back on track after vacation? I say, get back on track. And this goes back to the, it's not easy. This is, I think, the first thing we spoke about. It's not easy, but it is that simple. There's no reason to overcomplicate it you're either going to get back on track or you're not. And it's, I always have to try and picture what's going on here. When people are asking me these questions, if someone, let's say someone is on vacation, right? And they were just away for a week or 10 days, whatever it is, and I put up a Q&A on my Instagram. And someone is sitting there on vacation, worried about all the quote-unquote quote unquote damage they've done over this vacation, which is what an awful way to spend your vacation, just worrying about all the quote-unquote damage you're doing, which you're not doing any damage. And they see my Q&A, and they come in and ask, how do I get back on track? 
what mindset is that person in? What do they need? Do they need coddling? Do they need me to hold their hand? Or do they need a dose of reality? And maybe I'm wrong. But generally speaking, I think people need a dose of reality. They need to be told to stop worrying, stop pitying yourself, enjoy vacation, and get back on track. It's not complicated. Just do it. Again, it doesn't mean it's easy. It's going to be way easier to stay in bed and not get up in the morning to go to the gym. It's going to be way easier to come home right after work and order out than it is to cook a healthier meal. But we're not asking about what's easier. We're asking about what you want to do to achieve your goals. So if you want to get back on track, get back on track. Again, it's not easy, but you have to make the choice. And if you're going to ask me on my Instagram story while you're on vacation how to get back on track, I'm going to tell you the truth. Just do it. Let's see. We'll do one more because we're already at an hour. These go by fast. Hopefully, for me at least, you might be listening being like, this is taking forever. Shut up already. Um, let's see. One more, one more. Okay, so someone said, trying to pick the best one. Someone said, Okay, someone wrote, do you not support plant-based diets? Is that why you never answer my question, LOL? So I actually, I want to apologize. I I don't know what question it is you're speaking about. Uh, Like I spoke about at the very beginning, I'm never deliberately ignoring you. I just have a lot of questions to go through. Um, I'm totally fine with plant-based diets. I'm totally fine with you doing whatever makes you healthier makes you happier, whatever you can sustain long-term, and allows you to achieve your goals enjoyably. I do not care what or how you eat. It doesn't bother me. I do not care what or how you exercise. It doesn't bother me. I want you to do what allows you to live your healthiest, happiest life, enjoyably and sustainably. If that's plant-based, amazing. I love it. Uh, I mean, the inner circle, we literally have plant-based eating manuals. I mean, I'm not plant-based. Susan isn't plant-based. I don't think the majority of the members are plant-based, but there are a a bunch of plant-based members in the inner circle. We have plant-based recipe guides for both weight loss or for both fat loss and muscle gain. So whether you want to build muscle or lose fat, we have plant-based recipe guides for you. Um, I very much support plant-based diets in the same way that I support keto, in the same way that I support Weight Watchers, in the same way that I support South Beach, in the same way that I support Zumba, same way that I support powerlifting, same way that I support bodybuilding, because they're all beneficial as long as the individual finds them beneficial. They're also, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. They're all beneficial as long as the individual can do it enjoyably and sustainably. If it's not something that you can do sustainably over the long term, then it's not right for you. And that's okay. So long roundabout way of saying, if you're plant-based, go for it. I think it's a harder lifestyle. I think it's very, very difficult. 
and for me personally, I I wouldn't enjoy it. I tried it briefly when I was younger. I wasn't a fan. I love steak. Big fan of steak. Um, and just meat and, and fish in general. Uh, I, I like animal products. I really do. I'm a big fan of it. I know a lot of people are going to get super mad about that, but I am. Uh, whatever you choose, by all means, I support you as long as it allows you to be healthier and happier. And we'll do one more. Someone wrote, I disagree with your, quote, no one cares if you have visible abs, end quote. If you're lifting for people to admire your abs, you're doing it wrong. I want visible abs for me, not anyone else. Now, this is, this is a great one to end on. I very much agree with you. And I actually think you, we're much more in agreement than you are disagreement. And I'm going to read what you said one more time. You wrote, I disagree with your, quote, no one cares if you have visible abs, end quote. If you're lifting for people to admire your abs, you're doing it wrong. I want visible abs for me, not anyone else. Now, I've posted about this a number of times, and if you've read the post or seen the videos, you've very, very clearly heard me say and, and read in my writing that if you want to have visible abs, I support you 100%. Same thing with whatever diet you're following. If you want to have visible abs because it makes you happier, go for it. But you actually, in what you just wrote, you proved my point that no one cares. You were saying you're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it for you because it's what matters to you. You're not doing it to impress anybody because no one else cares. Same thing. If you're doing, and I agree, if you're doing it, if you're, if you're suffering or doing whatever it is you're doing in order to get visible abs because you think other people will like you more or find you more attractive, I agree, you're doing it wrong. But if you're doing it for yourself because you enjoy it more, because you're more proud and more confident and happier, go for it. I couldn't, I couldn't support you anymore. I think that's amazing. And I respect your effort and dedication and persistence because it's not an easy thing to do. So yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. If you're doing it for other people, you're doing it wrong. If you're doing it for yourself, you're doing it right. I think you and I are very much on the same page. And again, one more time, if, if you want to prioritize having visible abs and such a low body fat percentage which will which will inevitably lead to lead you to have to be much more rigid with your diet and training i respect that because it is not easy it is in no way shape or form what i want to do and most of my clients come to me they don't need to have a six-pack most of the inner circle members are like i don't i don't need to have a six-pack i just want to be healthier i want to be happier i want to be more confident I want to look good naked, but I, I don't need to be shredded. That's usually the population that I'm working with, especially in the inner circle. Yeah, actually, there are some people in the inner circle who are shredded, but the vast majority of it is just people who want to be healthier. They want a good community around them. They want to be stronger. They want to be happier and more confident, have a better relationship with food. I think uh, the percentage of people who are willing and able to walk around with abs year-round is very, very small, and I respect them immensely because it's a tremendous amount of time and effort and dedication and persistence. But uh, I think you're also right. If you're doing it for someone else, you're doing it wrong. You have to do it for yourself. So I very much agree with you. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Jordan Stinks. I hope I made sense. I hope it was open-minded. I hope it. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please let me know on iTunes. The reviews have really been helping a tremendous amount. I appreciate your support more than I can more than I can even begin to express. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. And I'll talk to you soon.